Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and I want to stop and thank each and every one of you for an amazing ride. We've been doing this podcast for just over three years now, and you've helped us make this show one of the top 20 podcasts on iTunes. Yes, the top 20 business podcasts available on iTunes, which makes up about 96% of the podcast market. We are ahead of guys like Tony Robbins, Susie Orman, Grant Cardone, and the one and only Robert Kiyosaki. Thank you all for your support, your time, and being a listener to this show. You know, as a busy professional, it's unlikely that you have hours to spend sifting through markets and properties and looking for that so-called quote-unquote best deal or even your next deal. You know, but being time poor, which probably describes most of us, shouldn't prevent you from growing and multiplying your hard-earned money. So you don't have to do it yourself. You know, if you're a busy professional or you're just thinking about investing but don't have the time, then you need the right team and you need the right mindset and you need the right guidance. So let's talk about that with my next guest right after this. Hey, it's Buck Joffrey from Wealth Formula Podcast. I know you love real estate investing. I do too. It's the best place to invest your hard-earned money. But what if you could invest the same money in two different places at the same time? That would be even better, right? After all, who wouldn't want to double dip their investment dollars? Well, that's exactly what Wealth Formula Banking allows you to do. It's a strategy used by the wealthiest families in the world, the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and you can use it too. Turbocharge your real estate investing. Go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. It's my pleasure to bring on Lane Kawanoka to the show. Lane is a full-time civil engineer and a real estate investor from Honolulu, Hawaii. He currently has a portfolio of 11 single-family homes in places like Seattle, Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, and Pennsylvania. He's also a partner in a syndication that controls currently over 1,300 apartment and RV units. After Lane's parents got duped, as I say, with their 401k in the stock market, He's made it a mission to help people get off the corrupt Wall Street roller coaster and focus on Main Street investments with safer, higher returns that benefit the American middle class. Lane, welcome to the show. Hey, Marco. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great having you on. I've been talking to you for a long, long time, what seems to be years, and you and I seem to have very similar investment philosophies, and I love the work that you're doing and the articles that you write. And so I thought it was a good time to get you on the show and kind of pick your brain a little bit about what you've done and how you've progressed as a real estate investor, especially from the state of Hawaii. And so you're investing literally thousands of miles away. So, you know, let's start the show off by learning about you. So tell us about your background and how you got started investing in real estate. Yeah, so I kind of started on this linear path that a lot of people start on. They told to go to school, study hard, get a good job. So I went to college to get an engineering degree and I graduated and I just started working in the day job as a construction supervisor and you know, just kind of went headfirst into that. Didn't really know anything else. Just saved my money to buy a primary residence to live in because that's what everybody told us to do. And bought a house and pretty quickly because I was traveling around and pretty frugal with my money. And then I was never home because I was traveling all the time for work, which a lot of times when you're in that new job, you're the guy that travels all the time. So I started renting it out and the rents were like 2200 a month and the mortgage was like $1,600 a month. And for like a 
young i think it was like 22 23 at the time that was a lot of beer money and i was like shoot i gotta do this <laughs> again and again and again and i didn't know anything up that was in seattle and that was like an a-class building and i didn't know anything about cash flow or this one percent one percent rule or rent to value ratios or whatever but it got me started and got me really motivated to save money because i had a reason to save it and i knew what to do after that with it that it wasn't gonna be the stock market Right. So did you venture out into buying stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and other things as well? Were you kind of led down that path? Yeah, I think I had, um, I mean, I was, when I was like 14 or 15, I had a first job picking pineapples in the fields of Maui. And I had like a Roth 401k account or no Roth's Roth account from that. Cause you, you got to make money yeah. to be able to have a Roth account. So I, I started doing that pretty early was into all the travel hacking and all those credit cards and did all that kind of stuff and day traded for like a year mm -hmm. prior to my senior year of college. And I realized what a scam that was. Right. <laughs> how stressful that was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I don't proclaim to be an expert at that stuff, but it just wasn't for me and just doesn't seem like it's a sustainable way of building wealth. What what happened with your parents? You you talk about your parents getting you know duped with you know their four hundred one k in the stock market. Was there some sort of catastrophic event there, or or were they just underperforming the whole way, and they could have done better knowing what you know today? Well, you know it's kind of funny. You, you, before you and I were talking about it, it was a holiday this weekend here in Hawaii, not for you guys, but I was actually having dinner with my parents last night, and once again they're always talking about their four hundred one k, and what I mean dupe like you said like they don't even know that they got screwed investing in that stuff you know here they are very highly educated you know at the very least a master's degree yeah yet they're still working and they have very average means in terms of house and what their net worth is so they're following a similar path of what most people are are taught through friends family and and the wall street financial institutions of basically you know we've heard it multiple times you know go to school get good grades get a good job save your money invest in 401ks and, and iras and and basically put your money in the hands of wall street right that's effectively what they've done right right i mean granted they got there right like i think that's the saving grace for a lot of people is that their parents got there they got to retirement who knows if they're going to have enough, but through being very frugal, sometimes even very cheap, they got there to mm -hmm. retirement. But what they don't realize is that they can get there probably in like five to 10 years, even at an average paying job. I think the, the proof is just in the numbers. I mean, a lot of these like, you know, turnkey single family homes, if you buy it right, you can make like 20, 30% on your money return on investment. Well, yep. then like what I tell these guys is like, well, why the heck are you only getting like eight to 10%? Well, I don't know about 10% anymore in the stock market, but 8%, like that's like a Delta of like 20 something percent. Like where did that go? And it went to all like the special interest groups. It went to all the wall street insiders and the middlemen to mark that stuff up. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are on that path or, or fall into that path and they don't know any different. And so, you know, with people like yourself, myself, and there's a long list of other people that want to help and guide people to show them other options, other assets. You know, what a lot of people call alternate investments or alternate asset classes, real estate in my world 
the real estate is the primary asset people should be investing in. And all these paper assets, to me, are the alternative investment class. So I have it flipped around. But, you know, we need to just basically keep putting content out there and educating people and exposing them to other ways of investing and other truths. Now, you're a working professional and most working professionals make, you know, a decent income, usually above average. And I know you're a big advocate of investing passively. Let's uh, talk about, you know, working as a professional. How does a working professional or, or any busy person build a portfolio with with little or limited time? Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, you got to take a look at is your what kind of resources you have at your disposal. The, the three big ones to look at is your first time. Do you have a lot of time to do this? Which you don't need very much time. Maybe a few hours a week to kind of focus in the right direction or just find the right people to work with. Mm -hmm. The next is knowledge slash network, which when you start off, you don't really have much of that, but it'll get there. Just kind of have to under, understand your place. Mm -hmm. And the last is money. I mean, you don't need very much money to buy a single family home, maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to get started and have enough money in cash reserves in case something happens. But, you know, it's for a lot of people who are in debt, you know, I tell them, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not a magician. I can't, you know, you got to save some money. You can't just spend money on your things that, you know, you don't, you can't afford. But for a lot of hardworking professionals making 60, 70, 80, $90,000 a year, you know, it's just a matter of focusing and, and not spending your money on things to, because you know what's it's going to go into. It goes, it's going to go into a rental property, say every year or every two years or three years. I think that when you get that focus, that's when things really start to happen. Yeah. For someone making 100000 a year or family making 100000 a year, if they can pay themselves first and off the top and put ten or 20000 aside, which is 10 to 20%, you know, for, that may sound like a stretch and something that's very hard to do, but it's the whole thing of deferred gratification. You know, you, you give up having all the bells and whistles and toys and doodads today for a better life tomorrow. But if you can put that 10 to 20% aside today and save up that down payment and get into that first rental or that next rental property, you know, then you're starting to build that momentum and you've got an asset and you just keep doing that. And as the years go by, you start to build that portfolio. That may sound like a slow way to go, but if you're limited by cash, you can only do two things. You can cut your expenses, which is a hard thing to do, uh, or you increase your income. And that's something that people can focus on, whether it's taking on a second job, getting a raise, building a small sideline business. But, you know, you said it, you need time, knowledge, you know, your network of people and cash. And I think for a lot of people, the limiting factor is the amount of cash that they have. So the more you can accumulate and the faster you can do it, the more rental properties you can invest in or investments that you can get into. Would you think that's a fair assessment? Right, right. And I think the big part of that is the big picture. Uh, I'd say, hey, you know, Let's not focus on buying that first rental. Let's, let's see how this is going to play out. If you make, if you're able to save twenty thousand dollars a year, you know, after any of your your income minus expenses, then you can probably buy a rental property every year. Maybe every you know fifteen months to be more conservative. But then you kind of lay it out on a timeline and say, hey, you know, this year you're going to buy one, and next couple of years you'll buy another, and then the next year you'll buy another, and then soon you'll have like five to 10, and then now you buy, you'll be buying two a year, right? And then what your goal is maybe like five to $10,000 passive, you know, you'll get there in the next decade or two, you know, and, and you'll, you'll probably stop working before then. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we can't exclude 
other working professionals as well that do have a high income and have a lot in savings. They have a lot in reserve because we do talk to investors, you know, clients that we work with that literally have hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not, you know, seven figures plus of investable capital. So they have the cash, they have the credit, they just don't have all the knowledge that they would like, but they have enough to get going. But the biggest factor, and this is true for ev virtually everybody, but especially higher income professionals, is they don't have the time. They're very busy working in their careers, on their practice, dealing with their family, friends, you know, if they have time for hobbies. Time seems to be the biggest factor, I think, that people struggle with in terms of getting into real estate. And they, you know, they have to realize that you don't necessarily need a lot of time with some of the options that are out there that you and I both are well aware of. For example, turnkey real estate investing and syndications, even note investing. So time, I think, for many people is the biggest constraint, you know, followed by cash. I don't know if right. that's true for you too, but that's at least what I see. Right. And and I see that as the probably the biggest mistake of passive and or high net worth or even low net worth uh, working professionals is that they think of real estate investing as flipping houses. I don't know why why anybody got that in their head, maybe because they watch too much TV. Yeah. But that's real that's trading. That's a job. And for a lot of professionals, you make more money at your job than these guys flipping houses at the end of the day after I, you know, tear apart their spreadsheet on how they make money. <laughs> And after the government takes half of it. Yeah, yeah. No, fl flipping seems sexy and glamorous because of TV. But at the end of the day, you're really a trader. And it's a high-risk way to go. It's very active, not passive. There's a lot of risk, a lot of work, a lot of time. You know, I've done my fair share of it. I still do some today. But believe me, it is not my favorite thing to do. There's a lot of brain damage, you know, for those thinking that, you know, buying a distressed or ugly house fixing it up. It's fun. I mean, it's fun to see a house go from ugly to, to pretty, but there's a lot of work that goes into that. So not my favorite thing. I mean, like you said earlier, a lot of people have money kind of just lying around. They don't realize they have it. And it takes, it takes probably takes a five, 10 minute conversation to get that out of people. A lot of times they're, they're saying, well, we don't, we don't got a lot of money. I'm like, well, you got that self-directed IRA. You got 401k money that you left that job. It's out there. And, and it's funny. A lot of these Working professionals, you know, God love them, that they're the guys who max out their 401k and they don't have any money. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, on this topic, you know, do you have any comments or suggestions for putting one's money to work most effectively? Yeah, I think it's more about just, you know, getting started, right? I think, you know, the turnkey rental is probably the, the quintessential prerequisite to everything. Think about what you're doing. You're going out and you're, it's a small capital overlay for mm -hmm. one. You're not putting too much skin in the game. It's a freaking turnkey rental. I mean, it's not that fair. it's not that hard. A lot of the big components are fixed for you, and it's in a good secondary market, usually in a robust economy, which are the two big things. Right. And you're kind of off and going, so you're learning how to be managing the manager, which is how you want. You don't want to be a landlord. You want to be more of an investor. And then it's also remote a lot of times too. If you live in places like Hawaii or California or Seattle, so you're kind of forced to you know manage it the right way. So you're getting a lot of that remote experience and the hands-off experience, which is very important if you want to get more than like, say, three rentals. Yeah. Well, I like to say that, you know, done right with the right team, it is by far the best way to have exclusive ownership of the hard asset, the actual real estate. There is no better way to go about it. 
So, um, you know, this is why working with the right people, the right companies or the right team guiding you appropriately is the best way to go about it. And that way you can build, you know, that portfolio of hard assets, income producing assets. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I talk to a lot of like, you know, very high net worth individuals like doctors, lawyers, and they've got like a huge chunk of money. And they're always thinking, well, I'm going to go to multifamily, right? Because I hear you do multifamily. I'm like, oh, ho. Hold up the horses, buddy. I mean, yeah, if you want to put in like three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars of your own money into one deal that you don't even know what you're doing, you can go ahead and do that. But I, what I usually recommend is just take thirty grand and go buy a single family home with that. Work out the kinks. Actually, see if you like doing this, and you know, make a mistake here and there with that money, and then figure out what you're gonna do to go bigger later. Mm-hmm. Or you can take that same path and avoid making the mistakes because you're following the path of other people who've done it before and they can guide you along and make sure that everything works out properly, smoothly, and you know, your due diligence is done accordingly. And, you know, a shameless plug, but that's exactly what we do in our companies. We make sure that people are on the right path, buying the right things, the right properties in the right neighborhoods with the right team in place and you know, they're cash flow positive from day one. And I assume you don't manage your own properties, right? Like you are a remote manager. In other words, you're managing your managers with the properties you have in those five, six states. Right, right. Always professional property management. Do you have any tip or advice in terms of managing your manager? Everyone has a different opinion. You know, I think, you know, using the Pareto's law, you know, you got you to gotta kind of be more of a involved investor from afar, you know, so you got to have be formal in your emails, keep people accountable. You know, if you're going to have an eviction on the 6th, you know, you better be Johnny on the spot and send them an email or text or phone call on the 8th following up on it. Because if they know, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you're just one of those lazy landlords, that's the service you're going to get. And that's probably why you hear, you know, different different responses or different reviews on the same property management company, I think. Yeah. So you're talking about the manager, not you in terms of managing your manager. Right, right. Yeah. How often do you communicate with your property managers or or the management company? Not very often. I mean, the joke is you only talk to them when there's something wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I rarely talk to my managers and I'm glad. You know, I don't really want to be talking to them. I just want to get a statement every month and a deposit, ACH deposit into my bank accounts every month and leave it at that. And, you know, every once in a while there's a minor repair or something, but that's par for the course. I mean, that's to be expected, right? We're, we're dealing with, you know, we're dealing with things that have some wear and tear and we're dealing with humans. People have issues and so things come up. Right, right. I mean, when I had 11 of these things, I got to a point of scale where, you know, I kind of got the ebb and flow of how these things work. You know, you, I would have like an eviction from time to time, but, you know, it's not very often, you know, a big repair might happen, yeah, you know, four times a year with that many properties, but kind of like it's no big thing because it's kind of like, well, okay, well, okay, there was a leak. Okay, tell me what you're gonna do now. All right, I'm I'm gonna check up if you did that. You know, when when you said you're gonna do that. Yeah. So it's just you know it's just not it's no different than corporate America, right? I mean, a lot of us have jobs where we been, we're not even near our boss. Yeah. Or, or our downline. I mean, it's like, how does that work? It's the same thing. It's just a lot simpler in this yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. And luckily you can fire them too. Yep, yep. That happens from time to time. Fortunately, not that often, but it does happen. Right. You know, we all like to learn from other successful people who are building wealth for themselves. And, you know, you and I are both fortunate to be able to speak to many others who are doing well for themselves. 
What takeaways have you learned from other successful or sophisticated investors? I mean, we all learn from others. What are your biggest takeaways? I think one thing is not thinking that you got it the right way, always having an open mind. Kind of funny, like, you know, I, I come across all kinds of people and, you know, I, I don't really know what really will make you successful, but I know for sure what certain things don't. You know, some people, they always ask for advice and I always tell people you need to lead with value first, you know, especially if, you know, one of the biggest ways that I kind of propelled my investing was getting to know other investors in an area that I was investing in mm-hmm. so that you know, we could, you know, he, the guy would text me, Hey, I'm changing property manager company. This guy sucks. You know, I mean, those kinds of relationships don't start unless you kind of make the, uh, the first effort at to add value with them. You know, it could be as something as simple as sending them a Starbucks gift card you know, e-card or mm-hmm. something that you show appreciation. But I think too many people just, you know, are kind of assholes is what I call them. They ask too many questions and they're like, all right, see ya. Thanks. It's like, <laughs> really dude? Like, how do you expect to build relationships that way? You know, that's just not how it works. And a lot of people are just, that kind of creates their investing as a lone wolf and nobody's really out looking for them. Yeah. You just reminded me of one thing I've, I've done on and off in the past is randomly I do this maybe once or twice a year I'd pick a day and I'd order Chinese food for you know the entire office and just have it delivered and you know I'd have it delivered early so people are there and it comes as a nice surprise that you know hey we know someone bought us lunch for the whole office coming from Marco and you know it just keeps you on their mind and and it gives them a you know, a feeling of, Hey, yeah, you know, our client cares for us. You know, it's not the other way around. It's, I don't know. It, it's, it's not meant to be a bribe or anything like that. It's just a, a nice gesture to say, Hey, you know, I appreciate all the work you're doing and, and you helping me. And I, you know, would like to stay top of mind with you guys. And so just a little thing that I've learned from someone else who's been, you know, very successful, you know, so you, you learn these things from different people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's like, these things are very simple, right? And but nobody really does it. So if you can, if you can just try and do it, just write it down and try and do something like this mm-hmm. once a year, or twice a year. I mean, you'll just kind of rise up to the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question. Just in regards to takeaways, I'm just trying to think. Was there any kind of like big lesson or aha moment you got from you know people that you've been talking to, other real estate investors? Just, I'm just trying to dig a little deeper on this. If if you have anything, if if not, I'll just move on. Yeah, I mean, well, one thing was peer groups, right? Like when I first got starting investing, I would go out to all these local reels, which I think are kind of a complete waste of time if you're an out-of-state investor <laughs> in a primary market. You know, everybody says go to them, but I was like, I kind of preach today that like, yeah, those are kind of a waste of time because your peer group in there are just a bunch of people fixing houses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of older people who bought rental properties where the rental value ratios don't make sense and you ask them, well, how many do you have? And they're like, two. I'm like, you've been doing this for 40 years and you got two rental properties. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. But then, you know, so I think when my real estate investing started to take off, when as I started to travel to different conferences to get in a room where people, you know, they had to get their butt on the plane and actually fly somewhere. Yeah. And then there were much higher investor levels. You know, they, they were doing it for maybe five, 10 years and they had a few properties. And I think trying to progress to those higher level events and groups is what everybody should be trying to do. Yeah, there are real estate investment groups 
in virtually every city all around the country, and and I'm not going to discount them. Ten years ago, I was going to many of them frequently, from San Diego all the way up to Los Angeles. So you know there were three or four big ones, and I was attending them every month. And then as time went on, I just found that they were less valuable to me and of less less interest. And probably the biggest reason is because a lot of the people that go there, they're looking for local deals. And being in Southern California, I wasn't interested in local deals because it was really hard to find local deals. And for the most part, a lot of the people who attend these real estate investment groups are rehabbers, flippers, hard money lenders, people looking for distressed properties and wholesalers. And so, you know, that really wasn't my cup of tea. I wasn't looking to buy a distressed property to fix and flip here in Southern California. It was something I looked at for a short period of time, but I just for, foregone it and moved on. But, um, but I'm not trying to discourage anybody from going. You can meet some good and interesting people and learn from others. But at the end of the day, if you're a busy professional, as we're talking about here, and you're looking to invest in, in a market that makes sense and that's not your backyard, you're probably not going to get a lot of value from a local REI, you know, real estate investors club. Yeah. And I think you hit it right in the head there. Try and find people that are your pedigree. If you're an engineer making 70 grand a year, go find somebody who was an engineer five, 10 years ago, making 70 grand and see what they did. Yeah. Or if you're a doctor, go find another doctor who's investing. Try and find somebody who was what you were and who is where you want to be and try and buy that person lunch. Yeah, that's a great way to pick someone's brain and learn from them. Just buy them lunch. They need to eat, so you might as well just see if you can get an hour with them. Yeah. Let me ask you about IRAs, self-directed IRAs. You know, Americans today hold approximately $8.6 trillion in IRAs. It's estimated that only about 3% of that or about $258 billion of it, you know, is 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 expected to increase. But that $258 billion is the the part that's self-directed, the rest of it is trapped in an IRA. So, you know, think about it. There's about $260 billion in self-directed IRAs, and that's just kind of a drop in the bucket. But every day for the next 15 years or so, roughly 10,000 baby boomers are going to be retiring. And these baby boomers are going to be looking to roll over, you know, their company-sponsored pension plans or their 401ks into investment vehicles like self-directed IRAs, which I happen to really like for, for specific reasons. And the reason is because it gives investors more control than traditionally traded assets, you know, like stocks and bonds, which you're kind of forced into. So if you have a self-directed IRA, you can basically pick and choose what you want to put that money into. So, you know, that's a mouthful there. But my question to you is, you know, what are your thoughts on using self-directed IRAs when it comes to real estate or anything related to real estate? You know, I mean, it's a good use for it to get the money out. I mean, I'm all for that to get it outside of the trappings of having to go with the uh, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that those guys like to have you buy. Yeah. But you know, like I think once you get into real estate and you start investing, the problem with those accounts, like a self-directed Roth, is you can't effectively leverage it. So if you're trying to buy a turnkey property with a Fannie Mae loan, yeah, you can get leverage, but it's got to be that non-recourse. It's going to be like a point higher. It's going to be a shorter amortization schedule. It's going to kind of kill the deal. What I tell most of my guys who are kind of, you know, a lot of my guys are younger. So take this as a grain of salt is that you, you want your money out of that, those uh, qualified retirement plans as soon as you can. The way I think of it is you're going to pay the taxes sooner or later. You, you probably want to pay it sooner because mm-hmm. I'm going to probably be paying more taxes in the future because I'm going to be making more money. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm, how I'm trying to line up this game. Mm-hmm. And to get it 
out of that stuff so you can leverage it in better loans is kind of the key. It's a very individual decision, but you know, I'm just kind of proposing the other side of the coin. So I had a self-directed IRA and you know, the only thing that I could invest in was like private money lending at like 10, 12%, which isn't that great. Um, I wanted it. So I took the money out and I just, and then you kind of avoid all these feet, ticky tack fees. And, um, you know, so yeah, I paid the taxes and I paid the penalty, but I, I did the math. And for me, it was better off in the long run. Yeah. I think self-directed IRAs are, are good if you're investing in notes or, or paper assets that generate income, but don't have tax benefits. I, I tell investors, I mean, my whole team, we tell investors that buying rental real estate in a retirement account is your last option. It's not that it's not an option. It's not your first option. It should be your last resort if you don't have investable capital outside of your retirement account because you're going to lose the tax benefits when you put any kind of real estate inside a retirement account like a self-directed IRA. You just can't flow through those depreciation you know, write-offs for 27 and a half years. You just can't get it. You can't touch it. Right. And, but there are certain situations, like if a guy, he wants to start investing, but he's got all his cash tied up in one of these self-directed IRA things, you know, he, he can use that money to invest. And it's a good way of like kind of dipping your toe in before diving all in. You know, you just buy one property with your self-directed IRA or it's kind of like a HELOC too. You know, it's, it's not like you have to sell the house. You can use the HELOC to buy that rental property and and then, you know, more than likely, they'll come back to you a year or two years and then be like, yeah, this works. Let's just sell the house. or get, You know, let's get rid of the self-directed IRA and get the money out so we can really start investing now. Yeah, that, that may be an option. And of course, that person would need to talk to their tax advisor or tax professional just to see what the tax impact is of doing that. Sometimes it may make sense just to liquidate that, put the cash back in the self-directed IRA, use that to invest in other investments could be, again, you know, real estate notes, but build a portfolio up outside of the IRA. You know, I, I just like to tell people that it's kind of the last resort. It's not right bad decision. It's just the worst of your options. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I mean, I, I got rid of my 401k probably about three, four years ago, which for me, I was like, it took me a really long, even, even after I was buying all these rental properties, it was like, Man, I thought about it so much because I, you know, you're so trained, right? You're yeah. like, oh, this, this is bad. This is really bad. Yeah. You know, this is naughty. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't cash out my 401k. But then, you know, I did the math, right? And you know, like I said about, you're gonna pay the taxes sooner or later. I'd rather yeah. pay it now. And then they're like, well, then, then you get this 10% penalty. Ooh, I don't want a penalty. But then, if think about it, if you're gonna be making 10% in the stock market. Or you're making 10% or 20% in one of these rental properties, which I think you can do much better. I mean, you're going to cross over and that 10% penalty in 12 months. I mean, just call it 18 months to be conservative and you'll be probably be better off. Right. So yeah. That was the exercise that I did. Why yeah. I, I did it. Yeah. You got to run the numbers. And if you do it right, you know, of course, the numbers don't lie. And you, you just write your two or three different scenarios and just see where you're going to be further ahead a year, two years, three years, five years from now. And I think for many people doing it that way, they're probably going to be further ahead in 
two to five years than they would be just keeping everything within their IRA. Again, it all comes down to running the numbers and just seeing how it affects your bottom line, you know, your, your income, and maybe you need the help of a tax professional to do it, but it's worth doing, especially if you have a lot of cash inside your self-directed IRA, you know, it's a, it's a good exercise. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the highest tax bracket, maybe you don't take it all out and maybe you kind of leak it out over a few years mm -hmm. to stay at that highest tax bracket. But I mean, I think that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Not saying it's yeah. the right way. Well, I'm glad it worked out for you. Let's start wrapping things up here with a couple of things. One thing I wanted to ask you about, something about your three rules, you know, when it comes to passive cash flow investing, I read somewhere that you have these three rules that you use to invest. Tell us about those three rules. What are they? And and expand on it if you can. Yeah, I think the, the first one is it's got to be a hard asset. So all the stocks and bonds and you know, those kinds of paper assets, it's not real. I mean, at the end of the day, it goes up and down based on some kind of press release or somebody says something dumb in the management company mm -hmm. or, or does, you know, does some kind of public humiliation thing and it's not mm -hmm. real. So, I mean, real estate is a hard asset like gold and silver and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the first rule. The second rule is it has to be leverageable. So I think, I think that's for me, that's the problem with like notes or, you know, a lot of these, I guess you could leverage stocks, but then you're kind of getting a little dangerous there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, I think, you know, real estate is like the one thing that you can get this government subsidized loans at super low rates for fixed periods for a very long time. I mean, why not take it? Yeah. And then the last is it has to be, has to have cash flow. I mean, it has to have, has to make sense in terms of income minus expenses. So real estate does that, you know, the, the person pays this rent and these are your expenses and there's a, there's a profit. It's very simple. You know, people talk about like gold and silver. I mean, gold and silver, it does not create cash flow. Right. You know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not really real. I mean, people say it's a cryptocurrency, so maybe they have an argument, but it doesn't create cash flow and it's not really leverageable. Uh, I guess there's a futures market, but you know, I mean, I, I mean, why get away and do all these exotic things? I think real estate's the good starting point. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, those those three are are key. You know, the income or cash flow is is certainly a key thing. I wanna I wanna see income coming in every month. It's leverageable, which is a huge benefit. You know, when lenders are willing to give you up to eighty percent towards the purchase, where you only come up with twenty percent. You can't do that with any other asset class. That's a huge benefit of real estate. And I'll take as much of that cheap debt as possible to acquire as much as I can. And then, uh, of course, you know, the tangible value being a hard asset is, is huge. It's critically important. It's a commodity and, you know, it makes it an inflation hedge. So those are three beautiful things about income real estate that it's hard to find, if at all, with anything else. So that's why we love real estate, right? Right, right. Do you want to make any comment about, you know, again, I read this somewhere, reversing the pyramid of traditional investing. I mean, what does that mean? I don't know if it's something you want to talk about here, but do you want to throw that out there? Yeah, you know, when, when you first get started working in any corporate environment, they bring the, uh, I don't know if we can say the name, but like the Vanguard or Fidelity guy in and they they always tell you like, you know, you guys should be investing in stocks right now, right? Like when you get older, then we'll switch to the asset allocation mix to more of a bond. So they're basically telling you to go take out more risk now because you have time on your right. side. But, you know, I think it's completely the opposite. I think in, in when you're starting out, that's when you're most vulnerable. That's when you should be trying to get cash flowing assets like a rental house and start building that on top of each other. You know, get 10 of them to get, 
three thousand dollars of passive cash flow, so you can get food on the table. That's that's what puts food on the table、mm. every month. So start it that way, and then go out and go and hit more doubles and home runs. And you know, I know you've got that marijuana fund. I mean, that's fun, <laughs> but I think that comes after you know all the basic、yeah. stuff. Get the simple stuff out of the way. I think too often, like novice investors, they get shiny object syndrome. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, "What do you What do you think of land investing?" Right? And I'm like, "Yeah, that's what all the rich people do." I'm like, "Well, the rich people do that because what you don't see is all these cash flowing assets behind the scenes." And now, quite frankly, they're just bored. Yeah, yeah, they're tired of these twenty percent returns a year. Yeah, they want these fights. Yeah, I never really thought about the presentation that you know Charles Schwab or some. You know, some representative would give you in terms of you know making the base of that pyramid stocks, but you're right. You're 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 flipping it upside down because when you're investing in stocks, if there's no dividends or cash flow, you're really a speculator. You're just hoping the value, or not even the value, but the price of those stocks go up. And so, to me, that's speculation. But when you flip it upside down, you're focused more on cash flow and less on speculation. And then, as time goes on, you've built your base. Of assets and your base of cash flow. Now you can start bringing on more speculative investments. You know whether it's stocks or or private placements and you know new ventures. And so yeah, I like the way you think about that. Yeah, those guys are super misleading. It's like Mean Girls when she told that other girl to eat butter to lose weight. <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you wanted to like have people work forever, yeah, you go tell them to go invest in stocks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap things up here. I'm going to ask you one more question. You know, I'm of the belief that everyone who is not a full-time real estate investor is busily involved with everything else in their life. You know, their career, their family, their friends, their hobbies, their kids, whatever it may be. What final thoughts and advice can you give busy professionals out there and investors looking to grow their real estate portfolio? So I, I think it doesn't take that much time, and you know. If- When we were in college, they always told us like some kind of rough rule where every credit you take is, you know, an hour or two of studying per week. You know, I would probably say with real this real estate investing for every house you have, maybe it's like thirty minutes to two hours a month. And as you get ten of them, that definitely goes down because they're working more in bulk.、Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't take more than like an hour or two a week. I think most times a lot of us. You know, because we're so so spun up, type A working professionals, is that we spend our time on the on the computer building our spreadsheets to tell us how to how we're making money when it's pretty obvious. I think that we waste a lot of time. But if you want to get down to the essentials, I mean, you can knock this stuff out in an hour or two a week. And I think you got to ask yourself the question: at the end of the you know busy workday, you know, sure you can find one day where you can find an hour or two. I mean, just don't turn on the Netflix for that、yeah. one day and just get it.、Done. Well, that just comes down to how dedicated you are. How determined are you to achieve your financial goals and start building financial independence for yourself? You know, you we all have the same amount of time in the day, and you're going to spend those 24 hours doing something. And you could choose to watch Netflix, or you could choose to spend an hour or two,、uh, you know, a day or a, or a week towards your financial education. You know, that they've I've heard people jokingly say that. People will spend more time planning their vacation than they do, you know, towards their retirement. You know, that's that's crazy, but I guess it might be a reality, right? I mean, you said it earlier, but say put the money to the the rental property first, then go spend the rest. Just like here, spend the two hours a week on this on this rental property research and stuff like that. Don't do it too much. Um, you know, try and buy it. Put the emphasis on the buying it, but then go watch Netflix for. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, Friday. Yeah. The thing is, if you're on a fixed income and you can't change that easily, you have to pay yourself first. And if that's really difficult, I mean, you should do it either way. But if that's really difficult, you need to look for ways or means to expand your income. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to accumulate the investable capital to put towards the purchases and acquisitions of these rental properties or syndications or whatever it may be. So, you know, you have to focus on your top line more so than your bottom line, especially in the beginning, because if you want to accelerate the pace that you achieve your financial goals, you have to start putting money towards it. You have to start accumulating these assets. And for some people, that's easy to do. For others, it's hard. But, you know, that's where your focus needs to go. All right. Well said. That's my well that's said. my opinion. <laughs> and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> Sometimes I just say, well, if you're happy with how things are going now, you, you know, if you're fine working another 20, 30 years and having the lifestyle you have now, then fine. Don't do anything. But you keep complaining and coming back to it, then that's a signal. You got to make a change. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be willing to do the hard things today and putting all that time and energy towards it now. Because if you don't, you're going to be spending, you know, the next however many years, the rest of your life, you know, trying to make up for what you could have made made today or accumulated today. So, you know, plant the seeds early, as early as you can, because then you're going to have a more fruitful tree down the road. So, Lane, I want to thank you for coming on. Tell our listeners how they can find you or, or get more information about what you, you do and write about. Yeah, they can check out my podcast at Simple Passive Cash Roll. Probably started a little over a couple of years ago. It's just a way to, so I didn't have to keep answering the same questions and over and over again to my friends. But yeah, I've been doing that every week and people want to connect with me. My email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Great. Always interested in connecting with folks. Yeah, thanks for having me, Marco. Lane, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time and your nuggets of wisdom. So we'll be talking to you again soon. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.